Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. eerily quiet and then my mind was kind of like you know the head in the fishbowl but it takes me into the bathroom and says this is how you brush your teeth brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat but there were two girls and it was like you don't have to give us a ride you can't fill us no he can't refuse us he'll let us in his car the thoughts were all alone in this empty void you know the head so uh adam did anyone in your high school do the frozen hot dog challenge <laughs> No, but I think this show has already been derailed even before it began. <laughs> I, I never heard of anyone doing the frozen hot dog challenge at well, my high school. You nor any of our listeners need to know. So <laughs> let's move on to something that's more productive. How about we move on? I'm sure there's somebody out there that's laughing their ass off right about now. Oh, well, guys, welcome back. As you can see, uh, Rob is here. Hey, hi, everyone. And Luke is here. Woo-hoo! Yay, everybody's favorite, the court jester of, of Conspiranormal. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure I'm the favorite. Court jester and our mascot, by the way. <laughs> you've, you, you've actually become the mascot of the show. Yeah, I know. I, I would say poster child, but mascot. <laughs> poster child. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm more the mascot because, like, like... Y- mascots always look stupid in their uniforms and like <laughs> I always look stupid for the show. So 
I sound stupid too. So, <laughs> well, you know, you do your best. I mean, we did have that one email where somebody said that you that you uh, usually say the dumbest shit, but you know, yeah, you're, usually, you're usually really profound. I agree with that person. <laughs> like they they're spot on. And uh, we we found somebody here that was on a uh, on a milk carton box. Uh, but we couldn't find him for a very long time, but we finally did some searching, and here he is, Mr. Zach. Hey. How's it going? It's going good. I don't know if you might get, we need to get a little closer to the mic. I'm not but, sure. It's, it's going good. <laughs> Were you really on the milk carton, though? <laughs> yeah, he was lost for a while. We it, had to go search for him crazy. and find him back in 2015. <laughs> I was in the supermarket, and I, I saw a milk carton that said Yeah, Zach I don't know how it. long it's been since I've actually been on here. Uh, um, I want to say it was the year in review show of 2015. Ah, oh, geez. So I think it's been a while. Uh. What if they sold booze in milk cartons? <laughs> <laughs> they really should put like missing children on beer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, there might have been, there might have been a campaign to do that at one point. Every <laughs> one of my friends will see them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people might just start seeing them because they're too drunk, right? Oh, I saw that kid, man. <laughs> it looks like a hundred other kids. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Rob, how you been, brother? Oh it's only man, been like a few, like a couple hours, right? I know. I <laughs> I ate way too much Taco Bell, and then yep. should have probably taken a nap. But <laughs> man, we watched a good movie this afternoon. Um, Arrival. Yes. I was, well, what did you think about it? I, I was pretty impressed. I'd like to get your, I don't want to give any of it away for anybody who's not seen it, but it's well, an interesting I, film. Yeah, I'd already seen it. And it was, it was a good one to watch twice. Like I caught a lot more the second time through. Um, it's hard, it's hard to, to talk about what I like about it without giving away the big like twist. But, um, you know, it starts out real similar to like Contact or Independence Day, you know, all the spaceships show up all over the world and like these mm-hmm. strategic places. And the whole time you're wondering, like, are they like, you know, are they here to hurt us? Are they here to help us? Are they here to welcome us to the, you know, intergalactic federation or whatever? Or and then it goes somewhere you wouldn't wouldn't really expect it to unless you're really paying close attention. Right, right. Um, I I was very impressed about it. I mean, obviously, without giving anything away, I think anybody that's seen the previews of it would know that Amy Adams plays like a linguist. And she's taken in by like the military to try to communicate with this alien species that has landed. And there's a lot of food for thought about language and the use of it and how language is can be a cultural aspects to it as well. My favorite part was the um the barriers between countries, people you know, not wanting to share what they learned. From the yeah. aliens and the breakdown of communications and the right. paranoia and it kind of it it did a really good job I think of showing how humanity would project its own faults onto another mm-hmm. species mm-hmm. and also the mis the, yeah like you said the miscommunication the misinterpretation different words if something doesn't already have something in its vocabulary what it and it says something that it thinks is right what are we gonna I mean these are things that we deal with all the time. Um, just in our normal human relations. And then also I liked how it's very much just the non-humanoid alien aspect of it. It was like something that would be when we actually do encounter something, it could be completely foreign 
Oh, yeah, it looked like something out of H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. Something completely foreign to us that we would have no concept and the language we would have virtually no concept of. So, yeah, fascinating, great movie, highly recommended. Uh, I found out that the, uh, the, the director of the movie... Is the same one that's doing the Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I'm super excited Blade about. Runner movie. Oh yeah, yeah. You're excited about that, right, Zach? Yeah. Uh, you know, I I didn't think that I would ever want or need a Blade Runner sequel. Yeah. But after seeing that trailer, I Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott. That's, yeah. That's what sold me. Who's the? Is it? Uh, who's the new? I guess it's. Uh, what's his name from the Notebook? <clears throat> I think. Yeah, I know you're talking Ryan about. Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Luke approves. <laughs> oh, and I was also reading about the same director. He's he's uh, going to be doing a remake of Dune. Oh, good. Somebody needs to. Oh, please, no. <laughs> please, yes. <laughs> Are you against Dune? Uh, <laughs> Dune. Luke? I, I couldn't do it. Which one did you watch? Which version? I did started you watch? out with the first, uh, you know, the one from the nineties. The first one from the eighties. The first VHS. The one from the eighties. Oh, it's from the eighties. Yeah. Well, I wa- I started watching the first. You know, like there's like four VHSs in one movie. Yeah, this Sorry. it's weird because the original movie, the David Lynch version, there's like several different cuts of it. Yeah, and a lot of deviations from the book. Yeah, I like. I mean, I I like the dark, kind of. Um, I mean, you know, it looks like a David Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. I I like that aspect to it. it. It lends really well to like the cerebral kind of quality of of the story. But I don't know. I think it can be done a lot better. I'm 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 excited to to see someone try at least. Yeah. Um, there was a remake that was done by the Sci Fi Channel in the night in the early 2000s, which was actually much truer to the book. Really, I've never seen that. Yeah, um, had uh, James McAvoy was in it before he was anything. Nobody knew he was. I think he was Paul Atreides, if I remember correctly. Okay, but it 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 focused like the David Lynch. I think focused on a lot of the mystical aspects. But although that's in the book, the book is more like it's more political. This galactic empire, yeah, and like kind of like feudal feudalism <laughs> in the middle of a. Futuristic world. What are you guys laughing about? Adam's been eating the spice. <laughs> the spice. <laughs> the spice melange. <laughs> what was it? The the, the worms or the the uh, uh, the Arrakis desert dune desert planet? That's repeated over and over again. Yes. And the worms are the sp- the spice or the worms and the worms are the spice. Shai Hulud. Yeah. Zach was laughing at me for uh, doing some research for our upcoming guest. <laughs> okay, well, I got gotcha. you. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Whatever, uh, whatever floats your boat, there, buddy. Uh, I wonder. Speaking of which, we have William Ramsey coming on tonight. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, his book, Children of the Beast, about people that uh, have been influenced by Aleister Crowley. So I hope you have the soundbite ready, there, sir. No, we're going to have to sing it every time. Yeah, are we going to have to sing it every time? We worked on the harmonies earlier. We might as well. Okay, yeah. I think you're working. You're going to work on a special version of the song for this show, right? Yes. Okay, hopefully we're going to hear that at oh, the end. Oh, copyright. <laughs> it's a cover. It's cool. It's a cover. It's a cover. And we're not charging for it. But I so. wanted to read this. This uh, this is an interesting story um, off of Raw Story. This is pretty short. Um, 
This is actually a place that Zach, uh, we've talked about taking a field trip to. Yes. And we're going to have to do that before you move back to Mississippi. We need to take a nice four-hour drive to just outside of Cincinnati. Uh, creationist Ken Ham. Dinosaurs fought gladiator battles against humans and giants. Creationist and Christian fundamentalist Ken Ham believes that in ancient times, humans and dinosaurs coexisted with a race of giants, and they all did battle with each other in gladiator-style combat. Huffington Post's Ed Baza said Friday that Ham tweeted an, an image of a new diorama in Kentucky's Ark Encounter theme park that features humans, giants, and dinosaurs battling to the death in a Roman-style arena. I'd watch that movie. Yes, I, mean, I would too, man, honestly. <laughs> Exquisite design. This is what the, 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 uh, the Twitter... Exquisite design by at Ark Encounter artists for new diorama depicting wicked population in the pre-flood world to be installed at Ark Encounter, Ham wrote. Ham is the director of Answers in Genesis, a fundamentalist Christian sect who believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old and that humans, dinosaurs, and apparently giants coexisted rather than being separated by millions of years. Scientists estimate the dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago, or a good 64.8 million years before the first Homo sapiens, who evolved nearly 200,000 years ago, said Mazza. Answers in Genesis spent $101 million building Ark Encounter. $101 million. Including $18 million (laughs) in tax incentives that came from Kentucky state coffers. In spite of receiving public money for the project, Ark Encounter only hires employees who identify as Christian and requires unmarried employees sign a vow of chastity. Damn. What? <laughs> yes. On- <laughs> I, I thought, though, that the fundamental uh, creationists, I thought they didn't believe in dinosaurs at all, though. Well... I think there's a few different takes on it. There were dinosaurs, but they were only 6,000 years ago. Well, or, or there well, were no dinosaurs and the bones were put there to test our faith. That's yeah. what I heard. Yeah, there's there's two camps on that. What Rob just said is one of them. And the other one is tries to include dinosaurs in and say that uh, they were either <clears throat> left off the ark or they were... <laughs> Put on the ark. They were too and big. And <laughs> during the Middle Ages, they were all hunted out because they were obviously dragons. Yeah, um, oh, damn. We got all, you know, two million something species, but we so forgot what, the dinosaurs. That's what Beowulf's about. It could very well be. In fact, there's that woman out there that, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys remember about two, three years ago, this woman, her name was Megan Fox, incidentally. Not the Megan Fox. Not the chick from Transformers. Boo. But uh, she went to the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago and was critiquing the entire thing and saying that uh, one of the things that people harped on on that was that she kept talking about dragons, dinosaurs being dragons. She's like, obviously they're dragons. These people are stupid. These scientists. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, that's pretty legit. I mean, if you didn't know what a dinosaur was and you saw one, then what's still existing, you know? The- well, there is a theory that people came up with dragons because they found, they saw dinosaur bones and they were thinking, oh, at a certain point, they must have yeah, been dragons. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that makes more that sense. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. <laughs> that's plausible. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, 
Look, wherever you come down on this debate, you know, I, I think that you could really make a case and you could still be a quote unquote creationist and not hold to the 6,000 year thing. I think that's just, that is that almost in ways that's a modern concept because that's not anywhere in the Bible. It's nowhere in there. Not even plausible. Right. That's something that a, a archbishop in the 17th century, got to get my octopus cracking, uh, that an archbishop in the 17th century came up with by going through the Bible and looking at the dates, and he said that, oh, it was 6,000 years ago. In other words, the earth was created in 4004 BC. He even had it down to the minute which is hard because the sun and the moon weren't created yet. So I don't know how you could actually do that, but I digress. Uh, Despite any of that, wherever you come down, this Ark Encounter exhibit was funded by the state government of Kentucky. It cost $101 million and got $18 million of tax money. I mean, Oh my God. Talk about separation of church and state, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I sound like a weirdo. It sounds like a, I, I'm going to sound like a weirdo saying it, but, you know, what about just like having all of their DNA on board rather than like actually having the physical animal? Does that make a lot more sense? Well, there's some people that think that's probably what might have happened. <laughs> I mean, if you buy the fact that the antediluvian world could have been like, for lack of a better term, a lot the Atlantis. I mean, if we look at like Randall Carlson's work, Laird Scranton, then what would we do if we were facing some kind of catastrophe? We might do the same thing since we're at that level. Well, what we're already doing with all yep. like the seed banks, like mm-hmm. Bill Gates owns up mm-hmm. in uh, um, Norway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that could that story in and of itself could be a memory of something like that possibly happening. It's just through time it gets told and it becomes an arc. It becomes a, a flood, um, which I don't believe that was 6,000 years ago. I believe if, if that was around the time of probably about 10,000 years ago, but definitely the earth wasn't, is older than 6,000 years ago. Old. That's, let's just say that. I mean, billions first. at least. Yeah. Uh, 4.5 billion is the estimate. I don't think that you can really, I mean, just we're kind of running out of time, but to really say, I mean, I think you can reconcile science and, and what's in the Bible. I think you can, but yeah. those oh, people, they can, don't want to do that. You can put them together. No problem. Absolutely. Well, like I remember being little and questioning my mom and she was always very open-minded about stuff and she took a lot of it, a lot of what's in the Bible as metaphors to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so she was explaining that, you know, the Bible says that, God created people from mud. Well, science is the same thing. We started as primordial soup and then they little microbes appeared and they grew and they evolved and they eventually turned into people. It's the same thing. It's just the timeline is a little bit skewed. Yeah. 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 I'm wondering here about this, uh, the, the signing chastity vows before, for hiring them to work at the uh, Noah's Ark encounter. Yeah. I want to read that. Just that document. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how well that actually goes over. Well, I wonder how faithful they stay to that contract. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. One of my points, one of my points in reading this is that 
if you've gone to the creationism museum or if you've seen it online, people do walkthroughs and they show it online. People have done walkthroughs of this, of this arc encounter. And, and now we have this diorama where it's humans, giant giants. I guess that's the Nephilim and dinosaurs fighting each other in a, in a Roman gladiatorial arena. It reminds me of the time machine from the movie idiocracy. Oh, yeah, our worst <laughs> dinosaurs, yeah. the on un- Nazi the world. That movie comes up in conversation a lot these days. It does yeah, exactly. Like they are, they are really, truly becoming the time machine ride. Oh, from it, the movie Idiocracy, it, an entertainer for a president? No way. <laughs> That'll never happen. A, a reality TV star. <laughs> The only show that started out as a comedy and turned into a documentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to take a break here, and we're going to call the guests here in a few minutes. Um, Luke, if you got anything to add? Um, After um, you doing all that research, I saw you doing that research over there. Yeah, dude, pork rinds. They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Luke. I suggest the, uh, assault, uh, the, the, the uh, salt and vinegar ones. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On that note, uh, since Luke, <laughs> we don't have that sponsor yet, but uh, we will be right back, guys, with William Ramsey on Conspiracy Normal. Okay, guys, we're back on Conspiranormal, and uh, we were just having a wonderful, good laughing time, but uh, now it's time to get serious, guys. And we have on the line uh, a guest that I'm that we've had on before. It's been almost three years since we've had this guest on. We had him come on, talk about his books about Aleister Crowley. We did discuss a little bit about his book on the West Memphis Three, which he had out at that time called Abomination. And tonight we are going to talk about his new book, which just came out, I think, last year, 2016. Uh, We're going to talk about his book, Children of the Beast. And that is uh, Mr. William Ramsey. William, welcome back to Conspiranormal. It's great to have you, man. It's great to be back. Thank you very much for having me, Adam. It's uh, been a while. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm surprised that you remembered us, actually. <laughs> well, they all kind of they all kind of meld together after a while. Mm-hmm. I've done some shows, but I do. Yeah, it's been a while. I remember. Yeah. yeah. We, I first thought the first time I ever heard about you was uh, Future Quake. I heard oh, you on yeah. Future Quake a long time ago. I was one of my uh, first. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doctor, uh, Dr. Future sent me a very long outline. He was very concerned that we were going to go off into some very dark territory. So that was a, that was a pretty, he was, he was a good, good host, but it was oh, an yeah. interesting. Yeah. So. Dr. Future is a good friend of ours. Good friend of the show. He's working on his, his magnum opus book right now. It's actually a long seven part series of, uh, about, uh, called the holy war chronicles so looking awesome. forward to that coming out he should have that out hopefully by the end of this year we're Good. we're hoping uh well, yep. so let's talk about children of the beast um what brought you to write this book what kind of inspired you to cover 
not Crowley specifically, since you did that in other books, but people that were inspired by him? Well, that's a great question. I was interested. I wrote Prophet of Evil, my first book, and when I was researching that, you come across little kind of people who reference Crowley. And I was I was curious about the people he influenced. I had known about people like Ozzy Osbourne, who'd sung, sang a song, Mr. Crowley or Crowley. So that was really it. And when I wrote it, I was like, well, who's how has he influenced, you know, current culture? I'd known that, you know, my my general thesis in Prophet of Evil is that some of his ideas were integrated numerologically into the events of 9-11. So I wanted to see what else. And so I was always, after I finished that first book, like five years ago, I was doing just tons of research. It, it took me quite a while to compile a book that kind of I wanted to show the the breadth of his influence in kind of politics, media and music and film. So uh, that was that was the end up was basically Children of the Beast. And I do include a little bit about Crowley in the intro. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was uh, I think I cover about 40 or 50 different people in Children of the Beast, uh, you know, from different times from people who knew Crowley from the beginning, uh, the early turn of the century and the early turn of the 19th century, the 20th century, all the way up until, you know, Marilyn Manson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You do a good job of, uh, I like the chronological way that you do it as well. Uh, you start out with some of the people that were kind of more contemporaries like, uh, William Butler Yeats, um, uh, so I think was it, uh, Ian Fleming was another one that was a contemporary of, of uh, of Crowley, and and we've talked about this on with other guests before. I think we we actually covered that with you on the last show that we were on, talking about Ian Fleming and how he based some of his characters on uh, on on uh, Crowley. And um, but let's talk about some of the people that maybe were more on the periphery that were like influenced by him. And the first person that I wrote down is Israel Rigardi. I don't know if I'm quite pronouncing that right. Perfect. But uh, yeah. he right. would be uh, one of the pre- – I think that's a good place to start. Well, Rigardi was – he was considered to be like one of the first uh, followers of Crowley. And he ended up writing a bunch of books about Aleister Crowley. But the interesting thing about Rigardi is he's from mm-hmm. the United States. And uh, he traveled to uh, to Europe to kind of learn as the apprentice. I call him Crowley's apprentice. Uh, under Crowley and ended up basically like many of Crowley's uh, adherents. He lasted about three or four years and then ended up kind of burning out with Crowley. But uh, he's kind of like an intermediary between Crowley and uh, the United States in a lot of ways. He ended up back in, I think he ended up in Sedona in this kind of new age environment as a, uh, he was a Jungian psychiatrist, but uh Really a fascinating, interesting guy. He wrote a book about Crowley, but really saw him in for, you know firsthand and his his kind of you know strange predilections. But uh, yeah, he was uh, a really interesting guy. Yeah, what were some of his philosophies? Did he have anything that really differed from Crowley in any way? Well, I think he kind of you know learned from Crowley. He he was early early he was interested in like Blavatsky, the Rosicrucians. He practiced yoga. He's one of the early, early practitioners of yoga. And that's what led him to Crowley. And then when he got through kind of milking as much information from Crowley as possible, then he kind of got into different stuff. But I would say that he became a, uh, you know, he was still, he, he, in the last part of his life, he said he owed everything 
he was to Crowley. So I think mm-hmm. he really was his uh, a longtime adherent of a lot of his ideas. He ended up writing books about the magical society that Crowley was in, which was the uh, Golden Dawn, and uh, wrote a book called I and the, I and the Triangle, which was about Crowley. Hmm. One of the other people that I wrote down uh, that interests me, and I guess this is kind of like the first kind of entry point of Hollywood, uh, of kind of like a combination between Hollywood and film to Crowley, that connection was Jane Wolfe. Yeah. And she was one of the people at the Abbey of Thelema, apparently. Yeah, right. So she was there um, on site when Crowley moved the Abbey of Thelema in the early 1920s. That was on the island of Cefalu in Sicily. She was there from 1920 until it was forcibly closed in 1923 and moved back to Los Angeles. So many of people who knew Crowley or were his adherents ended up in L.A. It's kind of a strange nexus point for so many hmm. of his followers. But she was there was people who were at the Abbey of, Abbey of Lima, one lady by the name of Betty May, who remembers she her answering the door. And she her announcement was Beast, Mr. and Mrs. Loveday are here. So she referenced Crowley as the Beast. But hmm. she. Uh, She was an interesting waypoint for Crowley and followers because she ended up coming back to L.A. and joining the OTO, the Agape chapter, which Kenneth Anger, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard were all involved with. So there are times actually that uh, Kenneth Anger, who we can talk about later, he actually lived with Jane Wolfe. So it's a it's just like a, a close personal continuum from Crowley through Jane Wolfe to, you know, some of these latter people who were interested in Crowley, such as Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. And I, I would kind of talk about Parsons. I guess we'll talk about him a little bit, especially in, in regards to, to Hubbard, but I've covered Parsons so much on this show, but Parsons was interesting to say the least. <laughs> There's a lot of connections through Parsons, I think, especially. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, Parsons was, I mean, Crowley called Parsons his most important, uh, adherent, you know, at one point, and the the agape was the number one OTO chapter. So, you know, Parsons was very important, and and to Crowley, and they they sent. There's many letters that exist between them both. Yeah, yeah, and when you get into when you get into Parsons, the the all the all the connections come into view, especially with the uh, the UFO stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, they it's interesting. A lot of so many of Crowley's. Followers have had some kind of UFO experience or mm-hmm. some type of extraterrestrial, uh, even in that, even Parsons himself. So uh, it is, it is, and, and Crowley himself, the, his whole connection with Lamb, this kind of entity that looks like a big headed gray alien. So they all, and even, even like Kenneth, this uh, one of his earliest followers was a guy who actually sat at the foot of a bed with Crowley. Um, his name was, uh, uh, it was uh, not Ian Fleming. It's uh, I have so many names in this book, but his name is uh, Kenneth Grant, and he right. actually he and I write about it in the book that Kenneth Grant, like he was, he alienated a lot of Crowley's followers, but he started a his own kind of offshoot of Crowley's OTO that uh, worshipped Lamb, that literally talked about mm-hmm. connecting and communicating with this entity that Crowley had communicated with. I actually. Uh, research. I didn't put it in the book, but I researched the the magical ritual that he had to contact and be in contact with this being lamb. And I include his Kenneth Grant's kind of temple or uh, 
you know, outfit that he used to be in contact with this entity. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Kenneth Grant. Cause I did have him on the list. Um, you know, I know that Peter Lavenda has written about Kenneth Grant and some of his beliefs um, in relation to, there's a book that he has about uh, Lovecraft and some of the connections to Crowley, even though the two men never met. But I think he believes that there was some kind of psychic link or something between them. But Kenneth Grant seems to be a link between the two in, in a certain kind of way. Uh, well, I mean, it might be. I, I haven't read that book, but yeah. I, I've heard that he has made some statement that there was, I guess Crowley was in New York around the time that Lovecraft was. So I think that he's saying that there was some type of thing where there, they crossed paths is my understanding. So, okay. I mean, I don't know the details of that, but Kenneth Grant himself, I mean, this guy, I mean, I think he lived what, uh, to like 2005 or something. Or maybe even later than that. 2011. He only recently yeah. passed away. Yeah. So well, he had this whole idea about his beliefs about Lamb, but I think he also, in many ways, he made Crowley's belief system much more accessible in many ways. Um, he might might have been. I mean, he definitely had his own uh, series of, of in detailed books about Crowley, Crowleyism, and, and he's you know it's interesting because. He was at Hastings. Crowley's last residence was in Hastings in the south of London. And he lived with Crowley and really kind of tried to carry. I think he was the, at the head of the OTO at some point after Crowley passed away. Uh, these, this offshoot, this uh, Typhonian OTO. And these guys, yeah. are, the OTO heads are always bickering with one another or people who presume to be at the head of the OTO. But, uh, you know, he's just a very interesting part of the Crowleyanity in the sense that he um, really believed in this whole lamb connection and, and tried to make that a central part of his occult practices. Right. And, and I guess, did he have UFO experiences as well? Yeah. I mean, I think he, if I remember, he said that, uh, let's see. I mean, yeah, I think if I remember right, Peter Lavenda believed this just to go back to Lavenda. Grant's importance was to expand upon Crowley's occult system, adding ideas from India, Arabia, and Caribbean religion. So yeah. that's I cover that in my book. But uh, even uh, comic book out, uh, writer Alan Moore discussed something about Grant as being one of the very, and uh, this guy's a pretty heavy duty magician, a very important figure in the occult. But uh, yeah, so, you know, he talked about, he talked about the, Grant talked about the Babylon working and said that basically, you know, Parsons opened the door and something flew in. So that, mm -hmm. and, and another thing that Grant talked about that he said, this is a direct quote. He says, humanity was too obtuse to accept the vast accumulated testimony of tradition and the thousands of well-attested cases of transhuman phenomenon. So he was definitely a believer in the UFO. I don't think in the kind of extraterrestrial sense though. Using the language of transhuman sounds like you might have been getting into the transhumanism stuff a little bit towards the end of his life. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, there's a connection there as well, I believe. Because uh, the last interview you mentioned uh, the Johnny Depp movie Transcendence, and I actually did see that a couple of years later. And uh, yeah, there's some interesting things. Yeah, so there that movie's well. trans. You know, it was uh, yeah transhuman turning into a computer. But I think that I think I told you I, I vaguely remember. Didn't we say that that movie came out on April eighteenth? Yeah, yeah. 
And that's like the no, that's Crowley's Kabbalic number for, you know, the uh, new age or new aeon. Oh, okay. It's a 418, April 14th, 18th, I mean. What does uh, Typhonian mean? What does that, is that uh, a reference to the ancient Egyptian god? Or? Yeah, so Typhon was this uh, the god of the underworld, if I remember. And right. uh, yeah, so that was his kind of, his kind of tweak on Crowley's system. One of the things that pops up a lot in this book is the stele of revealing. What right. was that? Well, that goes back to Crowley when he was supposedly received the Book of the Law in 1904. He was at the uh, the Bulak Museum, which then became the museum, Egyptian Museum. But at in uh, the stele of revealing was what Crowley ran into was actually in um, Exhibit 666, and that was kind of uh-huh. key to. Uh, his receipt of the Book of the Law. So the Stella of Revealing, he when he wrote his rituals, the Stella of Revealing was supposed to be at the center of the altar. And uh, it basically depicts the three gods who supposedly, <clears throat> you know, the three gods, the Book of the Law is divided into three sections with three gods, had it, knew it, and Horus. And oh, okay. so when you see the Stella of Revealing, those gods are <clears throat> depicted. There's one on a throne. There's this one god that, is overarching the entire thing, which is the God of the sky. And her name was knew it, I think, or had it. And uh, so that there was some kind of symbolic meaning in that Stella that re- uh, related to the book of the law. Okay. So you'll yeah. see all these guys through the book, they're holding up the Stella revealing or, you know, McMurtry has it in his hand or, you know, it's just a, it's just a referential theme that um, goes through. You'll see the Stella revealing behind, Jack Parsons when he's at this Gnostic mass that took place in Hollywood on Winona Boulevard. So, you know, so also in, uh, I did get a chance to watch. we were going to talk about Kenneth Anger soon in, in, in this interview, but, uh, I did get a chance to watch Lucifer rising and, uh, you can see, uh, Jimmy page holding it in one part of the movie. That's correct. That's correct. So he, uh, yeah, I mean, it just—it's a constant thing. You see, the the Stella revealing is in the background and other parts of that movie, and uh, it's just a common theme that runs through all of these guys. They always use it as their, you know, exemplar of, of Crowley's, you know, r- ritual and his experience in 1904. Right, and uh, Gerald Gardner, who was the founder of Wicca, how is that? Is there a, how's that a connection to to Crowley? Well, Gerald Gardner actually was an OTO member. He was granted OTO membership from Aleister Crowley. And a lot of Wiccans actually think that Wicca kind of came out of like some kind of old ancient tradition. But Gerald Gardner actually was a friend of Crowley and actually had supposedly visited Jack Parsons in L.A. And uh, but I include in my book this kind of uh, OTO charter membership that Crowley drew out and gave to Kenneth uh, to Gerald Gardner. And the interesting thing is that he took a lot of some of the rituals from from Crowley and integrated into his Wiccan kind of, you know, ideas. So Gardner is actually an important aspect or important part of uh, how Crowley influenced the 20th century because he has a direct connection to the Wiccan religion. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, normally, I, I guess in, in my own mind, thinking about the Wicca uh, – you know, it's supposed to all be peace and love and the earth and all this kind of thing. I just never would think of it in the, in the realm of like a black magical tradition, you know? 
Well, I think that they encourage that. I think that some of the right. aspects of what the heavy duty Wiccan stuff that Gardner wrote about was, you know, everybody gets naked, gets inside this kind of magical circle and, you know, does unspeakable things to each other, which to me isn't just all about peace and love. And so this guy was, uh, Gardner was, you know, he, he wrote things and I think there were laws against witchcraft in England up until 1947 or in the early 40s. Yeah. So I'm sure he was keeping some stuff to himself. Yeah, that's true. That, that that's that's interesting that they still had laws against that in the in the 20th century even. Uh, Grady McMurdy. Here's someone that I had never heard of, but I guess it's somebody that's kind of like a countercultural figure, but was heavily into Crowley's philosophy. Yeah, he actually thought of himself as the caliph. He was he thought he was the head of the OTO after Crowley died, but he was one of the kind of like. Uh, Kenneth Grant, he went to visit Crowley at Hastings and then came, but he was a, uh, in the military during world war two and came back up to all places, California and really kind of carried on the tradition. I don't think he was a, considered to be a very effective leader, but it's an interesting tie between kind of Crowley in England all the way back to the United States. And this guy, um, he just had a very color. He was in the agape lodge with Parsons, but he had some very colorful relations. There's a picture in my book of him with uh, Israel Regardi, who we talked about. So he's close to, you know, Crowley's apprentice. And uh, there was a time in the book that I mentioned that he actually stepped forward after the Manson uh, fiasco, the Manson murders, uh, Sharon Tate and all her friends at the, you know, at the house on Cielo Drive. He came forward and said, oh, Charles Manson isn't part of the OTO. And uh, it was an interesting kind of statement because in my book, I talk about Charles Manson's connection to an OTO offshoot called the Solar Lodge that supposedly wasn't uh, allowable. So McMurtry was really kind of uh, an interesting tie from Crowley. And he had like Crowley's artifacts. He had his I Ching sticks, which Crowley always threw. But it's an interesting tie between any. He sat with Crowley firsthand, told stories about him. But it's an interesting tie from Crowley again to the U.S. and California. Yeah, and uh, Manson also had another connection to a to the church, the process church of the final judgment. Yeah, so and that's that's one that's come up in a lot of literature. I believe uh, Mari Terry, the I can't remember the name of the book where he wrote about the son of Sam and Ultimate uh, Evil. Yeah, Ultimate oh. Evil. Thank you. And he wrote about how uh, the the process church he believed was behind a lot of that. But let's talk a little bit about the Process Church because this was an odd group, and I guess they are they are in a way still around. I suppose. <clears throat> I think, and to a certain extent, I mean, th- nobody knows how deep they are, but they they morphed into uh, the friends of was it Animal Friends or this this group in Utah that's a dog or animal protection services. But uh, yeah, they originally were offshoots out of Scientology. They yeah. went. There were two be, two original members were. Uh, this guy de Grimston and his girlfriend who were offshoots, but then they became even stranger and uh, they, they just believed in these four. They actually were in contact with uh, extra kind of terrestrial entities who were directed them to this place, X tool X T U L on the Northern coast of Yucatan in Mexico. And then they just kind of, they were very secret. They were hierarchical and they, they actually traveled all over. They were from England, but they traveled to the U.S. And 
they actually have like this one guy who was number three in the group. His name is Timothy Wiley. Is still around, believe it or not. I actually just saw him on this show that was on Vice. It's called Hamilton's Hamilton's Pharmacopia. It's about this drug guy who travels around doing trips with people. And he actually traveled to um, Timothy Wiley's place in Mexico, New Mexico, and did a bunch of PCP. So he's still alive. Yeah, it's a really a strange. I'll send you the link, or maybe you can put it up on the show notes for this. But it's a really strange connection to this process church and Timothy Wiley, who I who I wrote about in the book, and then came across him, you know, doing snorting incredible amounts of PCP and making art on this TV show. But uh, you know, the interesting thing about the process church is that uh, that Manson was supposed to be a member, and people asked him questions like, you know, blah blah blah, and he said, "Well, me and DeGrimston are one." something yeah, to that effect. Uh, uh-huh. And he was in uh, San Francisco, kind of down the street from where the process was. And there were in, um, what's the guy who wrote the book about the Manson family? Uh, the, Ed Sanders. No. Well, that's a good book too, but Bugliosi's um, book, Bugliosi's yeah. book. He talks about the process. I include that in my book that the process came and visited uh, Manson, when he was talking about being in the process, and Manson shut up about it. There were two guys who came to talk to him in jail. So, and and a lot of if you look at the ideology of Manson and the ideology of the process church, you kind of have the same kind of outlook. This end of the world, you know, apocalyptic view, and that you know things were coming to an end, and you, that same kind of ideology was Manson used and. This uh, this group, the Process Church of the Final Judgment, used. Yeah, what did uh, Mari Terry? How did he uh, link them to Son of Sam? I think he started. Yeah, it was. I go back through. It was something to do with Berkowitz and his relationship with his friends. And Berkowitz had some strange writings, but there were these other this other family. I wish I could remember their name. And it went through like Minot, North North Dakota to the death of Arliss Perry at the the ritual death of Arliss Perry in Stanford. And um, at the Stanford Chapel actually wrote an article about that. You can find out online, just write in Arliss Perry, William Ramsey. But, uh, and there was all kinds of occult um, things that happened with the body. But uh Getting back to as far as as Terry, I think he just researched and found that all these guys were involved in cult type stuff, and he traced it to, you know, these these characters in the Process Church in I, New York. I think there was something in your book about when you, in the section about the Process Church that they were talking about that they had the power. They claimed they had the power to talk to animals, and re- cool. and remembering the son of Sam material. Uh, and the the link that Mari Terry made to them and to Son of Sam and Process Church, I remember that in the Son of Sam stuff that you know he supposedly his orders to kill came from a, his his neighbor's Rottweiler. That's right. Yeah, the black dog. Yeah. So I was one. I, I just was I, that. I was an interesting supernatural connection there. Possibly. I don't know. And I think. Yeah, Terry argued that the killings weren't done just by Berkowitz. It was by right, a group. Right. More and than they, one person. More than one person, yeah. Different yep. people. And that, that was, he traced some of those people, I think, to the process. Because of the rituals they were doing at the park. It was Untermeyer Park, if mm-hmm. you remember. That. And mm-hmm. 
Earth Ultramar Park is actually an occult park. If you look at it, there's all these sphinxes around, which are Masonic symbols that represent um, the three, four doctrines of the magician to know, to will, to dare, and remain silent. So there's all kinds of uh, odd stuff that Ultramar Park has in the process. Oddly enough, this is the second time Son of Sam has come up in this come up today because we did another interview earlier in the day and a guy that did a documentary about Malachi Martin and he was talking about how he was trying to find the proof that Malachi Martin had spoken to Berkowitz and had counseled him. I don't know if you're familiar with that story. I hadn't heard that. No, I hadn't uh, heard that. Yeah, he was trying to. So that's odd, odd that that son of sam came up again today more than one time today this guy did the the, uh the documentary that's on netflix hostage to the devil yep yeah Mm -hmm. i gotta see that i haven't seen that yeah it's very well very well worth seeing uh let's talk about harry hay here's an interesting one supporter supporter of nambla right i mean it's a very fascinating story i think there's a lot more research to be done on harry hay but he was the the founder of the kind of gay rights movement in the United States. But he actually, in one, when he was in Los Angeles, he actually played the organ at OTO meetings, and he talks about it, and I cover that. Uh-huh. I pretty much write about that in my book, his whole experience there with... For Jack Parsons, guys. right? Yeah, with Parsons. Yeah. And there's actually other connections, too. Um, he, but I think that Harry Hayes is important, but he also referenced Alfred Kinsey who was also kind of an, it had interest in Crowley and traveled to the Abbey of Fellini with Kenneth Anger. Mm-hmm. But he was kind of believed that he used a lot of Kinsey's rationales to justify uh, positions within the homosexual movement. And I found that to be interesting that both of these guys were, were influenced by Crowley and um, Hay himself then started the secret society to create gay, to, solidify gay the gay rights movement called the Mattachine Society. And I thought that that was also interesting that this guy knew the OTO secret societies. And then eventually later on in his life became a NAMBLA supporter. NAMBLA was uh, supposedly on the fringe of the gay rights movement and were, were not allowed. I think there was one March that they were at and Harry Hay made a point to um, include them in this March. He actually was, was and I included in the book is I have a picture of him with a, uh, with a shirt that says "I support Nambla" on it. For, so. for for those that may not be in the know, Nambla stand, is an acronym that stands for North American Man Boy Love Association. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and this was, you know, this was uh, very controversial and very kind of kind of cutting edge in the, in a way that he, you know, this I think this speech that he was in was in the eighties and uh, or this this March. And he just he died in 2002, but he he was also involved in all kinds of weird kind of, uh, you know, sexuality spectrum type stuff where he was involved in this whole thing about uh, the the gay fairies and stuff. Really kind of strange, kind of interesting stuff. He was involved. He actually supported Mark Foley, if you remember him. He was the Florida congressman. Yeah. Yeah. Texting underage boys. Yeah. And he actually said something very odd about um, underage uh, sexual relations with another man. He actually twisted the whole thing around and said that the older per- – when he had um, had a sexual relationship with an older man, he said that older men benefited him. 
that he abused him. And it was really very, very creepy. Mm-hmm. Kind of creepy rationale for um, for what happens between older men and younger boys. And uh, yeah, so Hay, Hay is, uh, I think a lot of people did, wouldn't know that he had a tie to the OTO and Crowley. And he might've been an OTO member. I don't even know, you know. Yeah. Some of these, some of these aspects, I don't know who's involved, but it seems very odd that he stumbled into a uh, OTO meeting, you know, off of Hollywood Boulevard. Another person that was involved with Parsons meetings, and I have been told that he would often narrate these meetings because of his really deep baritone voice, was John Carradine. Interesting. Yeah, I have him in the book, you know, mm-hmm. and he. Uh, he was involved in the early OTO chapter and he had, you know, these famous kids, David, Keith, Robert. Um, so, and he was involved in like another hellfire club called Hollywood's hellfire club. They were called the Bundy drive boys and they were engaged in all kinds of strange stuff. But Carradine was a big player in, in Hollywood and uh, he played Aaron in the 10 commandments with uh, Charlton Heston. And uh, yeah, it's uh it's just an interesting tie because his son will be involved with other people, um, you know, involved with Crowley. Right. And did it Carradine? Well, John Carradine died mysteriously. And like, what did he like fell down an elevator shaft or something? I don't remember the the father. Yeah. yeah. He he was, uh, he was supposedly in, I think Milan and, and was somewhere on the top of the dome and collapsed. I don't know. If he fell down that shaft, I didn't read that. Huh? Okay. Maybe I just misread that wrong, but, but David Carradine, uh, what was it? He was in Thailand and he supposedly was doing autoerotic asphyxiation. Right. That's very sketchy. That's very sketchy. But then he had, he did it. How did he made statements that he was looking for the people that killed his father or something oh, like I, that? I didn't hear that? I didn't hear that. I thought he was there filming a B movie. Yeah. Filming a B movie. And William, one other thing about uh, John Carradine that I found pretty interesting, you know, I grew up in the 80s and I remember seeing the movie Secret of Nim and it was John Carradine who played the great Al, Mm -hmm. right? He was the voice. And I always found that interesting that here's this voice that narrated these OTO uh, occult practices, these rituals, and uh, he's playing he's playing an Al, which is a huge occult symbol. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, there's probably a whole another story with John Kennedy. I just covered yeah. him very topically, but he seems like a very interesting character, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was in the into the occult his whole life. Yeah, he he made some, he made like a bunch of movies, not all of them very good. <laughs> yeah, I think he was a vamp, he was a vampire Dracula mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. but he seemed to be working, working a lot, but not always in yeah. the best movies. Had a, like, really was a huge alcoholic through most of his life. I mean, seriously. Uh, you mentioned Kinsey, and uh, this this is one that people don't normally think of. Because, you know, Alfred Kinsey, the, uh, the sexologist. But how was he, what was his main influence? Like, what did he think about Crowley? And I think well, he was... Uh, go ahead, sorry. Well, like, the Abbey of Thelema, I think, really fascinated him. Yeah, I did, did. He was fascinated by Crowley. He was interested in Crowley's diaries and this kind of uh, sexual diaries. He said, 
He wrote of Crowley, he was a drug addict. The doses he took of heroin and cocaine are unbelievable, and same is true of all the sex he had. So he traveled to the Abbey of Philema in 1952 with none other other than Kenneth Anger, who's still alive today. Mm -hmm. And there are pictures of them together. But they took tons of pictures while they were there. One of the interesting things about Kinsey is his ideas about sexuality are very similar to Aleister Crowley's, you know, this total negation of rules or boundaries. And I write about Kinsey in the book about, you know, some of the stuff that he was into, how he died. And, um, yeah, he was, uh, you know, he was kind of like a pansexual, kind of like like uh, Crowley. Kinsey was. I think the part that I remember the most from that is, like, didn't he like to stick things up his... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so he uh, liked to traumatize his own, you know, privates, I guess, is the way. And the way he died, <laughs> according to uh, some researchers, is like... I mean, you can read about it. I don't even want to mention it, but he, yeah. he was, yeah. yeah, so it's um, pretty he, bad. <laughs> yeah, he should have been in a mental. He should have been in a mental institution. I think. Right, that's you the know? kind of things that uh, Albert Fish, the serial killer, did. Yeah, the almost yeah. exact same kind of thing. Yeah, and you know, he had very strange relationships with a lot of his like workers and his wife, and they would have sex with each other, males and females, and he's a very strange person. Um, so. I thought he was an important addition to the book because he was with Kenneth Anger and Kenneth Anger actually is in uh, some of his videos. There's actually videos of him and Kenneth Anger. I think that's in one of Chris Pinto's movies. Hmm. Uh, he covers Crowley. I mean, he covers Kinsey, the Kinsey syndrome. I think you call it. Yeah. Yeah. Chris does have a movie like that. Yeah. So uh, that's a great movie uh, that covers Kinsey in greater detail. But uh, in that, in one of that, in that documentary, there's a scene of him with, with Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Anger's in it, a young Kenneth Anger. Right, right. And here's an interesting one, Hitler. You don't normally think about Hitler as being influenced by Crowley. Almost in some ways, you would think of them as being on opposite sides of the coin, uh, at least from what their statements were. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, although, I mean, I think I argue in my book that they were very similar in their outlooks. Uh, and, I, you know, I write about their interest in the occult. And I talk about how one of Crowley's um, disciples, this guy J.F.C. Fuller, visited Hitler in 1939 when Hitler's 50th birthday. And he had this very regal parade. It was really right before World War II broke out that this guy J.F.C. Fuller was there. And they actually talked to each other. And uh, J.F.C. Fuller, (laughs) Crowley's disciple, was probably and can be traced back to the, the success of Hitler's battle plan. Like one of Hitler's generals, this guy, uh, Heinz Guderian visited GFC yep. Fuller and talked about mechanized infantry. <laughs> um, so that was kind of an in- fascinating connection between Crowley and Hitler. But uh, really the primacy is really kind of their outlook and what they wrote about what Crowley and Hitler, Hitler actually did and Crowley wrote about, which is this kind of slave class that Crowley talked about. Hitler really integrated. He created masses of, slaves in these work camps and death camps, you know, working. Uh, and they, they talked about breeding. Crowley believed that breeding, scientific breeding was best in Crowley. And Hitler himself actually integrated that, you know, talking about getting rid of the unfit and breeding the master race. Yeah, Crowley had similar uh, had similar ideas, didn't he? I mean, he was very much like, as much as he was outside of the norm he was still very much like a member of his social class 
No question. I mean, I totally agree. He was definitely an elitist and elitist in outlook. Right. And like he stated after the war uh, into Time magazine, he said, before Hitler was, I am. So he actually took this kind of biblical statement of Christ before the Sanhedrin and, and manipulated it. Yeah. He was very well known for making those kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> both, statements. They both, yeah. They were both New Agers, Crowley and Hitler. You know, they believed in creating a new world. And they also, you know, emphasized the will. Mm-hmm. The primacy of the will. You know, Hitler Hitler had that uh, Laney reference to all movie Triumph of the Will. And Crowley's real Thelema is the primacy of, in, of human human outlook. And, uh, right. you know, not really involved in God in any real way. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And one of the interesting things about Hitler is he was in uh, Germany coming and going between 1930 and 1933 as Hitler came to power. Uh, probably as a, a British agent. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in some way, just monitoring people. He had stayed with people. I talk about it in Prophet of Evil. He stayed with another known spy and kind of renegade kind of like him um, while he was in Germany. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, and I talk about in the book how many of uh, Hitler's statements are similar to what uh, statements were made inside the Book of the Law, Crowley's book in 1904. And really, Hitler's plans to destroy Christianity are basically the same as Crowley's. We believe that Christianity was a religion of the weak. So <laughs> they're, they are similar. They're basically were similar. Out. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point there. Uh, someone else. And this, I tell you, uh, you went like way into detail on this particular guy. And this is some of the most fright, some of the most frightening stuff in the book was about this person. And that's Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. And I'm sure that uh, you being in Los Angeles, this is something that you deal with day in, day out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> out I, there. I, when I'm in Hollywood, I drive by, you know, Hubbard's dominance of Hollywood Boulevard. He owns tons of property. The church owns tons of property. There are people handing out um, Hubbard literature. But if they knew the real foundations of Scientology, mm-hmm. um, they might be taken aback. And a lot of people don't. I mean, you can watch this Leah Romini show that she's been doing. Yeah, doing Scientologists, they really don't know the basics about their own religion. They're kept in the dark about it. So I think exposing this or exposing Hubbard, his connection to the OTO and his connection to Crowley, I think is uh, vitally important because, you know, some John Atack who wrote a piece of Blue Sky about Hubbard said the person that he was surprised to find out influenced Hubbard the most was Alistair Crowley. Mm-hmm. What were some of the what were some of those connections? I mean, how influenced was he by Crowley? And there, there's also a incident in the book that you relate where he basically rapes this one of his followers, and it was almost like he was like laying on top of her and drawing out her power is what she felt, and that was just one of the creepiest things <laughs> in the book, honestly. Yeah, and I took that from another book, and they talk about it. It's called they called it soul cracking. Yeah, and uh, his son, uh, uh, L. Ron Hubbard Jr. He wrote a book that was never really published, but he talks a lot about his dad from firsthand. There's also a famous interview he did with Penthouse where he talks about how strange his dad was. You know, um, He said about his dad, he thought he was Satan. He was one with Satan. He had a direct pipeline of communication and power with him. Hmm. You know, so he's saying very uh, blatant you know, statements. He said, you know, 
you know, it's really crazy. He said that he got, you know, inform- he said about his dad, he got information like L. Ron Hubbard about the mysteries. But um, that one sequence of like soul cracking on this girl, where he just laid on top of her and stared, stared in her eyes is just insane, really bizarre. But, you know, there are other things that he that the son talked about how his dad would, you know, before meetings, he would get out Crowley's materials and read it and do tons of drugs while he was writing his books. Just also, you know, I, I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy kind of stuff, stuff that went, but he talked about stuff that went back to Egyptian times. You know, we can talk about soul cracking. You know, this is what the son said about soul cracking. He says, it's like cracking open the soul, which then opens various doors to the power that exists, the satanic and demonic power. Simply put, it's like a tunnel or an avenue or a doorway. Pulling that power into yourself through another person and using women, especially, is incredibly insidious. It makes Dr. Fu Manchu look like a kindergarten student. It's the (laughs) ultimate vampirism. Instead of going for blood, you're going for their soul. Jeez. Yeah, really heavy-duty stuff. And he had no problem doing it. Some of the the beliefs that, especially, you know, that's been revealed in recent years about – the Scientology, like once you get to like you become an over Thetan or whatever, and all of a sudden you learn about Lord Xenu and the uh, the human souls that were encapsulated in the volcanoes and all this kind of stuff. Is there anything in there that that do you think that he some of those elements that he may have borrowed from Crowley, some themes that I don't were borrowed? See the you know that kind of like uh, that mythos that yeah. Uh, Created. I didn't see a connection, Xenu and the overlords and 75 million years ago. But I did see a lot of the ideology of Crowley integrated into Scientology, the anti-Christian ideology, which a lot of people don't know about that he included in there. You know, mm-hmm. I talk about, he's, uh, L. Ron Hubbard said, the man on the cross, there was no Christ. You know, so they don't, a lot of people don't see this kind of anti-Christian mentality, which is similar to Crowley and Hitler. Um, you also... Uh, I think that Hubbard was similar into OTO practices by creating this type of rigid hierarchy, like the OTO, where you have different levels that you go up. And I think he integrated it into a system, but he made people pay for it, which was a lot different than Crowley. Um, but and that's why you're talking about the operating fate in level two, three. Yeah. And with each kind of initiation, you could call it in Scientology, you get new information. So these people are incentivized to keep kind of going up this ladder. And, uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, it's just a bunch of other stuff. We can go into the blaspheming, the blaspheming of L. Ron Hubbard. I, you know, and he was a lot kind of like Crowley where he put himself out as this prophet, this kind of ideal source. He called himself the source. You know, I don't think a lot of people talk about that, but he was kind of this, in, you know, unquestionable leader L. Ron Hubbard was, which was a lot kind of like a lot like what Crowley was. Right. And uh, I, I, Recently, I mean, like a couple of years ago, I worked with a guy that was a Scientologist. And so I had the chance to kind of engage this person, really try to understand where they come from. And the guy was kind of defensive with me, you know, uh, acted real defensive, I guess, just because there's so much bad press about Scientology. But he even told me one time, he was like, he was like, you know, you can be a Christian and be a Scientologist. And my answer to him was like, I don't think so, man. I, I I really wanted to say something about Parsons and Hubbard and Babylon working and all of the things that I knew, 
But like, I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it at that point, you know, plus it work environment, you know? Right. No, I understand. I mean, they're, they're in a, you know, reality bubble and it's kept that way by Scientology. So that, you know, you'd be so, I mean, they, they called Hubbard, this guy who mastered languages. He was a nuclear scientist. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have so much of this story about Hubbard that people should like scratch their heads. How do you believe this? But an incredible think, sailor. Yeah. The sailor, um, writer of millions of books, which is true. Actually, at some point, Hubbard was actually the most published writer in the world. I think he, he was in the Guinness uh, Book of World Records as the most published author. But um, he, only, he only went sailing to evade taxes, right? To get off of like <clears throat> into international but, waters or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he was hiding from the law. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he uh, he was in Spain. He was in North Africa, which is kind of like Crowley. Um, mm-hmm. People have suspected that he went there for Young boys has been a, a rumor, kind of like Curly, but uh, yeah, it's uh, he's just a big mess, and and people don't know how how much of you know this mythos is totally fake. They don't know. That's how they get into it. So if you expose Scientology to these people, um, I think there's probably more ex Scientologists than actual Scientologists. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh. that uh, getting involved in this whole mind control and. He had, Hubbard has very strange connections in L.A. He was friends with like Robert Heinlein. He wrote Stranger in mm-hmm. a Strange Land, which was also inspired by Crowley. That was the only <laughs> book that Manson would let his followers read was Heinlein, Stranger in a Strange Land. One of my favorite also, books, incidentally. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, but also, he was Hubbard was known to be, I think, seen with Aldous Huxley when he was in L.A. So he Hubbard was uh, in strange company. Did you see the HBO documentary Going Clear? Yes. Uh, I was happy that they included the stuff about Parsons in there. So was I. I was actually yeah. surprised to see that. Right. You me know? too. Me too. I was honest about it. I mean, most people avoid, you know, especially intellectuals, public intellectuals, they won't talk about the occult as a motivating factor upon, you know, human cultural events. But so I was impressed that they actually were willing to, to put that in there because it's a, it's a vitally important part of the story. Yeah, it really is. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Kenneth Anger. Let's get to him. Well, yeah, we talked like, about Kenneth. Ang- yeah, we, Anger is a very important person as far as far as Crowleyism and kind of his influence upon culture goes because he goes all the way back to the Abbey of Philema. He was at the Abbey of Philema with Kinsey that we talked about earlier, and he was an early OTO member. But what did, why Kenneth Anger is kind of important is that he was friends with so many other people who were interested in Crowley. And he was also a filmmaker and one of the early filmmakers who Scorsese, Martin Scorsese really admired, but he, uh, he just had an still has, he's still alive. He's in Hollywood. He's actually been seen around recently hanging around with like James Franco, but, uh, mm, mm. Yeah. um, how old is the guy now? God, I think that he is, he's born in 1920, close to 90. He'll be 90 Golly. this year. Yeah. So, but he still shows up at artworks. He shows up at the Hammer Museum. He was giving us talk about Crowley at the Hammer Museum recently. Mm. Within the last couple of years. But he, um, Kinsey, you know, really pushed the, he, I mean, he's considered an avant-garde filmmaker. He was uh, openly homosexual and he made very uh, salacious uh, films that, you know, got in trouble with the California uh, authorities. He was actually sued 
But, uh, you know, he had lived with these kind of, uh, he had been in, he included in his films like Marjorie Cameron, who was Jack right. Carson's girlfriend. Um, and I, guess, uh, I believe she's an inauguration of the pleasure dome or whatever right. it's called. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so she, uh, she had actually been in a film with Dennis Hopper too, called night tide. Yeah. With another uh, friend of hers, a friend of Anger's, a guy by the name of Harrington. Um, so, uh, she, you know, she was the Scarlet Woman, this notorious Scarlet Woman of, of Jack Parsons, this kind of theme that Crowley had. But, uh, you know, uh, so he made all these movies, Scorpio Rising, Lucifer Rising. He was always trying to end. The, he, this is a, a statement of, of his. He said, the one product I'm trying to sell is Aleister Crowley. This is an interesting statement. And he believes he's a warlock. One of the a- interesting aspects of Kinsey's life is that he lived with Bobby Boozelay of the Manson family when he was in San Francisco. Yeah, Anger. Yeah. Yeah, Anger and uh, and Bobby Boozelay lived together. And Boozelay said all kinds of weird magical stuff happened. But they got in an argument and kind of split. And then Boozelay uh, murdered uh, this guy Hinman, I think, in L.A. and then got a life sentence. Um, but Under orders from Charles Manson. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. they were trying to, I think, shake him down for drug money or something like that. And then Manson showed up with a knife and said, kill him. So it was just another exemplar of how Manson got people to kill for him. Right. And Bobby Boussoulet did the soundtrack to Lucifer Rising. Right. And Jimmy Page was supposed to, but he kind of uh, bailed out. So, but I mean, that's the interesting thing is that Ganger went from the kind of hate Ashbury district to London and met all these other kind of Crowley figures that like Crowley, like uh, Jimmy Page <coughs> and, you know, these other kind of notable cultural figures. Right. So he's kind of like the bridge in many yeah, ways to, the, to, to rock stars, pop culture. Absolutely. I mean, he's an admitted warlock. Um, and he, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. There's a really one of the more important or notable pictures in my book is a picture of anger with Donald Camel, um, this other, Dennis Hopper, who had been in Night Tide with Marjorie Camel, Cameron, and this other guy by the name, oh God, what's his name? This other kind of filmmaker, this this occult filmmaker by the name of Yodorowsky. So they're yeah, all together. Yeah. All mm-hmm. these people have tied to Crowley. Anger, Anger has this tie, but this guy Camel was a, became a film actor, act, uh, director who actually sat at the knee of Aleister Crowley. His dad was a friend of his in Northern England. So it's pretty fascinating. But Anger himself, you know, that's just an exemplar of one time. Yodorowsky's influenced people like Kanye West and all these other people like Yodorowsky. But, uh, you know, Anger himself was friends with Jimmy Page and they had a falling out. And uh, it's just incredible. And then he made Lucifer Rising, which at the very end of Lucifer Rising, these inter, you know, extraterrestrial beings show up over, you know. Yeah, yeah. You see the UFO come over the Sphinx. Right. So like the classic, you know, orb UFO comes up over the Sphinx, which is a, you know, cult reference that goes back to Elephus Levy. So, um, yeah, anger is, uh, you know, and in his films, he has visuals that, you know, he's got Crowley's Mark of the Beast and these sigils. Uh, so, so uh, Kenneth anger, you know, the influence on the rock stars and two of the ones I'd like to talk about are, Jimmy Page, because I think he's one of the like probably the obvious one, but then also David Bowie, and a lot of people don't really think about Bowie in that light, but uh, he really was in many ways. I mean, he sings about Crowley in uh, I think the song Quicksand. Correct. 
Merston Crowley's uniform of imagery. Yep. So yeah, Bowie, I was I was surprised to find that out as well. I didn't know how deep his relationship to Crowley went, but you know, when he passed away early last year, that you know, in his last um last last video Black Star, I think, was indicative of how sophisticated David Bowie was and how much he really knew. And um but yeah, so he there's like pictures of him in, in uniforms that look exactly like Crowley's from the Golden Dawn. But uh you know, he he well he there was a, a phase where he went through a Crowley stuff and uh was doing like all kinds of weird cabalic writings. There's actually was a swimming pool here in LA that uh is off of uh God, what street is that? <laughs> it's off of one of the streets here where like his his pool got possessed and he had to get it exercised by some witch. Um, mm-hmm. but, this was know, in the time that he was like out of his mind, paranoid, doing lots of cocaine, thinking right. that UFOs were following him. And yeah. And it was in LA. He was, he met Kenneth anger. So that's an interesting time, but he, uh, you know, he says he, he was, yeah, he was out of his mind on cocaine. So he left LA in 75 and went to Berlin. Right. Um, and, uh, he actually he actually went to Berlin because he was he heard about somebody by the name of Christopher Isherwood. He had Berlin years, and Christopher Isher Isherwood was actually a close friend of Crowley and wrote about Alistair Crowley. Oh, really? Interesting. So that, that was yeah. So you can that was the inspiration to go to Berlin, and uh, I think he was in Berlin with Iggy Pop, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. Iggy Pop, Brian Eno, yeah. yeah so um, yeah, but you know he talked. Uh, there's just, I mean, there's a picture of David Bowie in like the movie The Prestige. He's holding the Book of the Law, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Uh, yeah, playing Tesla. Yeah, yeah, playing Tesla. And like his last, um, his last video, like I was talking about Black Star. He was talking about the center of it all, which is a phrase taken from Alistair Crowley's ritual, the hexagram, which is one of the more common uh-huh. rituals that they do. So, um, you know, there's all kinds of numerological sophisticated numerological depictions in that video, uh, black star, but it's all coded, symbolized language it really showed that Bowie was very sophisticated, at least in my mind. Yeah. I think the song you said in the book, the song station to station, right. Basically so station the cult ritual. All out, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here we are one magical movement from Kether to Malkuth. But one of the interesting things is that, Kenneth Grant writes that from Kether to Malkuth is the representation of the magic of the new aeon. So it's, it's a very sophisticated use of the occult, you know, not something sloppy, but he's re- he's representing, you know, uh, this kind of, I'm um, bringing in the new age, you know, yeah. in that song. It's pretty remarkable. And uh, Jimmy Page, I mean, you know, of course bought Beliskin house. Right. Which burned down the last, I think two years ago. Yeah. Which I believe that's yes. where he, Crowley did one of his rituals. Right. The Abramelin, Abramelin, the mage, it was some old kind of grimoire that he was trying to summon the 72 gods of the earth. Um, and that, that's really why he bought that, ma- that uh, mansion, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, the, uh, Page tried to buy the uh, Abbey of Philema as well, but the, the owners, when he was trying to buy it, buy it, didn't sell it. So he was in, he was actually, a, that's why how he met Kent Anger is because, uh, Page had a lot of money and wanted to collect everything by Crowley he could. And they both met at an auction house, uh, Page and Anger, and that's how their relationship started, a mutual interest in Crowley. But, 
Yeah. So Foleskin House was, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, Paige owned for a while. It's supposed to be haunted. You know, they talk about it being on the back on the, it was, uh, I guess a skine as S K I N E is an old church. And that's how it got its name is that it was a front. It was built on a burned down church. The mm-hmm. Rumor. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, so these guys, it's, uh, you know, there are all kinds of interweaving connections between people interested in Crowley, whether it's, you know, Bowie or Paige who, who met each other in Hollywood or Yodorowsky, Anger. You know, it seems like they kind of run into each other a lot. Yeah, and I believe that uh, Led Zeppelin 3, was it Led Zeppelin 3 that it had on the mm-hmm. inside of the record that it had uh, Do With Do Thou Wilt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so they had these like little secret engravings and. Yeah, I mean, I have a picture in my book of uh, Jimmy Page from his most recent book. <coughs> he's <coughs> sorry, he's wearing a layman of the OTO. This kind of represent symbolic representation of sex magic uh, with the this kind of like eye of Horus and the central motif. So yeah, uh, he's probably a member of the OTO. And it, it, and same with Bowie, they mo- both might be members of the OTO. I don't think it's out of and that's been rumors that Bowie was an OTO member. Sure, uh, it just can't be confirmed. Right. And Alan Moore is another one. I think he's a, he has a big influence on our culture, I think. Well, absolutely. I think all the films and, and comic books that he's written uh, have been, whether it's From Hell, The Watchmen, um, you know, these other, these other films that he did of all uh, Beef or Vendetta. And he has actually said that he's half a writer, half the time he's a writer, and half the time he's a practicing magician. So, you know, he's an admirer of Crowley. Kenneth Grant, he knows all. He's very intelligent. I was surprised uh, how intelligent and sophisticated he was. You know that, uh, and he was influenced by Leary. These other guys who were influenced by Crowley. So you see mm-hmm. this kind of uh, ideological spec. You know, this, this stream that flows from Crowley to our modern world, and even on the Watchmen and V for Vendetta, with all these symbols and meanings that are in there that are are really from like can be. Trace back to Crowley, whether it's two without wilt. Yeah, we we, we read an article on the last show about uh, kind of like his competition with Grant Morrison, who's another comic right, book yeah. writer. Well, Alan chaos Moore magician. Yeah, Alan Moore wouldn't say there's competition. Yeah. So he would think that he's copying. Morrison is a, is a copy. He's actually said really nasty things. Yeah. That I came uh, across uh, with researching more um, that Morrison doesn't have the same kind of feel, <clears> but. My, yeah, my favorite was the quote that, yeah, I've read all of this stuff twice, once when I wrote it and once when he did, wasn't that the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Moore is really sharp, man. He's, 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 he's very clever. But yeah, so, I mean, I would say that Morrison is, uh, a lot of ways, a ripoff of Moore. Hmm. From, my, from my topical view of their stuff, but I think that, you know, they, uh, I wrote in my book, I showed that, you know, in From Hell... Moore included this kind of Crowley um, guy who looked exactly like Crowley in a schoolboy's uniform. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, yeah. He puts little things here and there and be for vendetta, do it that well. But it's not just that who his friends are. And, you know, the smiley face that he includes uh, in his, you know, in his in in Watchmen and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's all just a big joke. So mm-hmm. yeah, those, that, that smiley face was integrated into really kind of the 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 beginnings of the electronic movement and EDM movement in England. And that's kind of where the, the smiley face was used 
uh, from the beginning. But I think you'll find that a lot of that, the beginning of the electronic dance movement or EDM type stuff uh, was all kind of very structured and started by uh, people who were interested in the occult. Yeah, I think Genesis P. Orridge would be one of them. Yeah. Yeah, who I included in this book. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but, um, yeah, Moore's a pretty remarkable guy. He had a friendship with, you know, some I included in this book a guy from another band. It was, uh, oh gosh, which one was it? It was uh, Bauhaus. So he's friends with this guy, David J. Haskins, who was also an occultist, and they did weird kind of live, you know, uh, plays or something together. So, you know, it's, they all kind of overlap. A lot of these guys have sim- are similar have similar interests. Yeah, I'm also glad that you, you in the book that you mentioned Promethea, uh, which a lot of people when they talk about more do not mention that. But that pretty much, I mean, in most of his books, yeah, he veils things. Uh, he doesn't come out and talk about it directly. You can see little things here and there, but Promethea is pretty much just more laying out his entire occult philosophy really yeah i mean prometheus the female version of prometheus the titan who brought fire from heaven the symbol that blavatsky used as a representation of lucifer so you know i you can kind of see where he's coming from you know about that book yeah well i kind of want to start moving into some other things that you've been studying and that is one of those is pizzagate and we've talked about this on the show a lot, but before we kind of turn a- away from Children of the Beast and move into that, let's talk about Thomas Dryberg, because there are certain things that are, are like a current into some of the Pizzagate material. Very true. Very true. I totally agree. Tom Dryberg was somebody who reached out to Aleister Crowley in the 1920s and began a kind of correspondence with Crowley. Crowley was a type of person who would exchange letters with anybody. He was definitely a person who wrote tons of stuff, but he became close with Tom Dryberg and Dryberg um, would go on to be a notable figure in English pol- or UK politics, um, which, and he was a, uh, an intelligent guy, but he was actually cruelly wanted him to be his heir. And, uh, but um, he kind of took upon himself a lot of Crowley's attributes. He became, uh, he was, by are really homosexual. Um, he was actually known as a notorious cottager, which is the English version of bathroom tap, tap dancer. Um, the cottages were like public bathrooms in um, England, but uh, he became, he was actually this guy who became his friends with Mick Jagger later on in his life. Um, he was, but one of the more interesting things that you can see um, similarities to the current Pizzagate scandal in the United States is that Tom Driver was friends with a uh, man from man, uh, a Tory, Robert Boothby. Um, Dryberg was labor. He was kind of the left wing left side, but this other guy, Robert Boothby and him became friends with the craze, the notorious Cray crime brothers from East London. And basically were involved in all kinds of uh, sexual scandals and things like that. And um, they were known to, um, look after young boys. Basically, both these two guys, Boothby and Dryberg, uh, were uh, rumored to be pedophiles. And uh, even even Boothby said as much. There's pictures in my book of those two together. 
um, Winston, Winston Churchill said of Tom Dreiberg. Tom Dreiberg is the sort of person who gives sodomy a bad name. Um, so everybody was aware of what these guys were up to. But uh, <clears throat> the 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 one of the interesting things that the Cray brothers did to keep from getting uh, busted, you know, early was that people think that they compromised people like Booth B and Dryberg. <laughs> so, um, it's a it's a very interesting story. It's involved in all kinds of underground, weird sexual depravity, and these guys were um, very. Uh, you know, they were rotten, really. Dryberg was really a rotten, you know, kind of uh, rotten person, kind of like Crowley, in the sense that, you know, when he when he died in 1976, uh, he was also Dryberg. The interesting thing and something I need to research more is that he was known to associate with Jimmy Savile. Back right. In the 70s. Yeah, I was about to ask you that. Yeah. So it's a it's a fascinating con- connection that there could be some secret tie from Crowley to Dryberg to Savile. Um, and, uh, you know, he said at his death that basically he betrayed everybody. He was never loyal to anyone. And this is a guy who was like a confidant of the prime minister of England. Mm-hmm. who was like writing letters to Alistair Crowley. And there was actually when he, when Crowley died, Dryberg went to his executor and took a letter that he had written to Crowley and made an oath to Crowley to do what he wanted. So, Dryberg himself is really a fascinating character. A lot of Americans don't know about him, but uh, I think that this kind of this sexual scandal that he was close to is, you know, probably a lot of what's going on in America today that we don't see. Yeah. Which, which Pizzagate and the WikiLeaks emails revealed. All right. Well, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get into the Pizzagate stuff because you know, we, we've talked about it on this show, a uh, couple of episodes that we that we did about it. Uh, you know, uh, I told you in the intro, well, before we started the interview that when I first heard about this, you know, the first, my first exposure to it was the whole spirit cooking thing. And honestly, at the time I didn't really think much of that because I thought, you know, it was just an email that, uh, Tony Podesta had sent to his brother, John, of course, John Podesta being Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, whether he was going to come to this dinner, basically for uh, I can't Mia Abramovich, okay, for her uh, for this event that she was having, and I thought, okay, people are just blowing this out of the water, and then I thought I started to hear more about this PizzaGate thing, and I was like, what the hell is this? What is PizzaGate? So I read a couple articles that were kind of just. One guy that we had on the show that was kind of saying that it was all a bunch of all a bunch of bunk. There was nothing to it, and then I started looking into some more of the material that was online, and there were things there that actually really bothered me, especially about Comet Ping Pong, James Alephantis, and some of the stuff that was on his Instagram account. Some of it I didn't think anything of, but then there was other things that I did such as Antinius, uh, having Antinius as his icon, which I t- Antinius was the gay boy lover of hate of the Emperor Hadrian. Okay, I know you know that, but for yeah. anybody else, you know, that's, that's who he was. And so I thought, you know, this is strange stuff, and there's really strange 
weird things that are at least going on with Alephantis himself. Uh, I watched a documentary as I was studying the whole Pizzagate thing called An Open Secret, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with, which is about a pedophile ring in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. Correct, yeah. And the way those guys carried themselves, the way that they acted, was very similar to the way that that Alephantis did. And a lot of it was kind of like, for me, an intuition almost of like a suspicion of like the it just there's something wrong here, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Yes. So, I what mean, are your thoughts on it? Uh. I mean, after looking at all the information, after looking at the Instagram account of James Alphantis, after reading the WikiLeaks leaks, I came to the conclusion that these guys are using code. And they're using it at different times, different places. And that indicates that they are in the know about pedophilia, child trafficking. Although there's no evidence in the public, there's enough there to merit an, in, uh, an investigation without question. And the fact that an investigation is not taking place is uh, very telling in the sense of who's kind of running the who was running the government back then. Um, but, you know, I think that if you look at everything and what what they do and what they've said and how like Alephantis had that um, had that discussion or he was uh, interviewed with Megan Kelly and the questions she asked were such a joke. They didn't ask any pertinent, meaningful investigatory questions about what he was really doing, Mm -hmm. that there's enough there to uh, merit uh, a further investigation. I mean, there's coffins on there. There's pictures of kids with tape. There's I mean, there's just incredible stuff that um, needs to be investigated. These guys are really strange, you know, very strange statements. Um, So. I do think that, uh, you know, uh, these guys are friends with people like Barney Frank. Um, they, there've been pictures of, well, it's important to remember that, uh, that David Brock was Alephantis's boyfriend and Brock is this head of media matters. Who's basically the propaganda piece for the democratic party. And these guys are all hanging out together with the Podesta brothers and the symbolism, I think, just kind of gives it away that this there's something strange going on. This whole notion about Haitian sauce and all this stuff like that, um, you know, it's uh, it's very, very suspicious. And, well, you, know, you know, their connections. With- it, it, it's one thing to be gay and it's another thing to be a pedophile, you know, right. but this but, but uh, it, 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 so what leads I mean, because really the the connections there you say well you know barney frank david brock alephantis we know they're all gay right right well you know we do know that barney frank was running an escort service or a gay uh service out of his house yeah he got busted about so we know that they're involved whether you want to call that trafficking or right prostitution that they're involved in illegal uh, he was involved in illegal activities but what specifically connects these guys to pedophilia what what is the co- i mean i've heard the code well, pizza hot dogs right it, where, i mean and but where are we they, getting that 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 is the code well that was uh, i think that 
it was a stated code, but there are symbols that they're using that are kind of in Comet Pizza's, you know, that are in um, videos that Comet Pizza has or somebody has produced through one of their like associates that are the pedophile symbol that the FBI uses. It was on Best of Pizza right down the street, which changed its symbol. So I do think that uh, there's enough evidence to investigate. No yeah. question. And I know, I mean, there's another guy, there's a researcher by the name of Titus Frost who said that a hacker hacked the back. Now, Comet Pizza has some kind of secret background um, backdoor to their website. And I've never heard of a pizza that had that. Well, somebody hacked into that and found child porn on it and sent it to the police and nothing happened. Really? So whether that's, yeah. Whether that's verified or not, that means that I have no reason, no reason to think why these guys are lying. But you can look up Titus Frost and his, I mean, it just broke within the last week. There was another guy who came forward who said that he worked with Aliphantus and Aliphantus drugged and raped him. And that Aliphantus uh-huh. also was involved in another sketchy thing with his former business partner. He was no, he no longer works with. So, and those emails that this guy who claimed he was raped, drugged and raped by Aliphantus, those have been verified. Those are definitely his email, Aliphantus' email address. And Aliphantus has been caught which, I mean, I'm not totally convinced of what he's doing. He might be drunk texting. He's been caught in these feisty exchanges with people who have asked him questions on Facebook or on message Messenger. So um, that don't make him look that great, you know? Um, so Right, and that's the thing. Like, if you just go by what the news is telling you and you just go by what you see, well, you just think, oh, this guy's just a victim of the quote-unquote fake news cycle He's just a victim of the internet. But when you really dig into it, the more shady he really looks. Hyper shady, hyper sketchy. He has yeah. weird business relationships in Berlin that he's never disclosed. He has other ping pong. I mean, a comet is a symbol that's used for relationships that burn bright and and like dissipate. Ping pong is a weird sexual position. So he has his name placed named Comet Ping Pong. And Bucks Fishing and Camping pedophiles call each other bucks and that's been verified in some really creepy pedophile documentary that was made 10 years ago that that term is used among pedophiles Hmm. so the way he acts and talks he thinks that he's above prosecution he actually in this one weird drunk texting thing he had with one person he said well i know you know only only certain people get prosecuted like it's a strange admission from him how would you know that yeah so it's hyper sketchy. There were weird statements on this one um, picture that they had that was on his Instagram where somebody said, put some Haitian sauce on that pizza. And people associated with Hillary Clinton have been busted moving children out of Haiti. This one girl, Silsby, who's changed her name to a different name, which is sketchy. Um, she was busted in Haiti and prosecuted by the Haitian government for transporting 33 Haitian kids, some of which were found out later to have parents. And uh, they, they were told that they were, this is after the earthquake. Nice occult, nice occult number there, by the way. Yeah, 33, yeah. yeah. Very, very interesting. So, you know, Silsby um, uh, was involved in that. And that's just something, if you go back to the Al Smith a charity dinner where um, Trump was roasting Hillary Clinton, he actually mentions that mentions this that you know he, he made some some snipe right at, right to Clinton's face. He said, 
you know, Hillary Clinton believes that, you know, it takes a village. She should know she's transported <laughs> many of them. Oh, uh, yeah, that's what okay, I remember that. Yeah. So he has inside info. And there's all those there's a tie in with the um, Wiener emails where they had tons of emails on their uh, on his on his computer, which for some reason they haven't figured out what has happened to them. So there's just really sketchy things going on. I mean, there's this one guy associated with Comet Pizza who put this mural that's on the wall of Comet Pizza, which has subsequently been painted over. He, this guy, Arrington D. Dioniso, is real strange oddball. He was recently made, um, and you can see a video of William Ramsey investigates about the horned god and about whether these people want to cut Trump's head off. But he's made these pictures of, of a headless Trump uh, beheaded Trump, which is interesting too, because Marilyn Manson, who I cover in my book, also made a video in his Satan S A Y one zero Satan album that shows a beheaded Donald Trump. Yeah. So these guys have really strange connections, and uh, yeah, it's just something. Something is very odd going on. These horn god depictions, you know, on the outside of a comet ping pong, you've got the half moon. And the downward facing pentagram. I mean, it's incredible. Which is on the ba- which is on the Baphomet image, by the way. I found yeah, that pretty interesting. Which I I got that from twice Tracy Twyman. Uh, yeah. You know, she talks a lot about Baphomet. Uh, yeah, well, you have these weird kids in ritual garb in one of these movies. I mean, yeah, really well, sketchy. The other thing was too, you know, the the media made this whole thing, you know, making fun of people looking into Pizzagate. Of saying that uh, the reason, well, like the guy that went in there with the gun, right? He was looking for kids in the basement. Right. And they made this whole thing. It was on Colbert. We even played the clip on the show where Colbert was you know, making fun of him for not having a, not having a basement, right? And right. Uh, he says that, uh, and, and then later in, th- there was somebody pulled an interview from like a year before where... He had gone on Guy Fiore's show uh, that he Guy Fiore was there at Comet Ping Pong with Alephantis, and they're interviewing Alephantis in this local Washington, D.C. magazine, and he's talking about going down to get tomato sauce, storing it in the basement. So, which is true. You know, <laughs> and people could people could pull that up rather easily. It was it was easily found that contradicted the statement that Elephantus made that he had a basement. Right. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. There's so many much deception and stuff going on that uh, yeah, it merits uh, investigation. You know, I, I there's there was talk about pedophilia. In one of these videos of the strange bands that's downstairs at Common Pizza, pizza where they're talking about, like, uh, you know, oh, that's somebody else's preference or something like that. So, you know, it's, there's tons of weird stuff going on. There's smiley mm-hmm. faces in some of these videos that are associated with Common Ping Pong. You know, how did Al Fantas become the 49th most powerful person in D.C. just operating two restaurants? Right. How does that happen? Right. You, know? you, you sent me a picture here of Lavinda, Peter Lavinda with Podesta. Yeah. Which incidentally tommed along. Yeah. 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 That when I saw that, I just fell out of my chair. So they're coming out with a book, DeLong and Lavenda coming out. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the, 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 the email that gets me though, is the email 
about the kids coming over to play in the pool. Super sketchy, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're talking about why would they, they offer up these kids. I think, what does it say? Like they're for your notice, the kids will be in the pool or something like that. Yeah. I'll have to pull it up here while we're talking, but, uh, also there's the Pegasus museum, which is something new that I've been hearing about. And, uh, so the Pegasus Museum was um, this building that was found kind of just north of the center of D.C. It's in a very strange location. It's in the center of like a city block. And it's really not a museum. But that's how it was recorded on the county ledgers. And people are like, what the hell is going on here? It's some weird room place that doesn't have any windows. But I came across a an artist who was friends with kind of Alephantis and in that crew who took picture or made a painting of uh, this room inside that looked exactly what it would look like if it was inside Pegasus museum with all these weird people in underwear, some kind of weird orgy type thing. And uh, it just really sketched me out. So <laughs> but, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So I'm trying to find the picture of it so I can send it to you. But yeah, well, so I just got the email pulled up, by the way. Uh, it's, I'm going to read, oh, it says, with enormous, just, it was from Tamara Luzado. I, 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 who was this to? Was this to Podesta or just it was in the. Okay, so with enormous gratitude to advance man extraordinary Haber, I am popping up again to share our excitement about the reprise of our gang's visit to the farm in Lovettsville, and I thought I'd share a couple more notes. We plan to heat the pool, so a swim is a possibility. Ronnie will be Ronnie will be Uber service to transport Ruby er, Ruby Emerson and Maeve Luzado eleven nine and almost seven. So you'll have some further entertainment, and they will be in that pool for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I was told that Emmy May and those names are all names from a movie. So those that's what know, I've heard too. Yeah. They aren't even their real names, but. Uh, yeah, I just sent you a, an email of like the supermoon where Podesta's in a dungeon. Um, what was that from? It's from uh, the 31st, 2014, January 31st. Um, I, we had talked about that earlier, about uh, how, you know, he may be a hardcore magician. Which yeah. would make sense. But yeah, there was uh, that picture know, of him with the uh, something like a number 14 on his hand. Right, like that weird, and his hands are all gnarly. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and I mean the guy. The guy looks like Nosferatu, anyway, in my opinion. But well, another thing that people realize is that Podesta is in contact with Denny Hastert, who was a lifelong pedophile who was just like abusing kids for over decades. He was the former, um, mm-hmm. former Republican, it? by the way. Yeah, so this go, this goes both sides, you right? Know? And so. You, you, I think that that this all of this fact that it goes both sides and a lot of people are involved in it shows that the media doesn't want to cover it and they're covered and there's a massive cover up going on and I believe the whole notion of fake news was prop, proffered or propagated to deflect or or cover up from anybody making any criticisms about what Pizza Pizzagate is. Well, see, I don't understand how Pizzagate could even be fake news because it's not really news as much as it's research being done by an online community. So how is that actually news? That's, that's the strange part of it. You know, yeah, I mean, I would say that that's how they would keep it out of uh, the mass media. Is, right. Right. 
right de- exactly legitimize it by saying oh that's fake news we're not covering that fake news yeah and and it gets even weirder okay because the madeline mccann disappearance the uh the composite sketches of what the abductors look like look just like john and tony podesta Right. Yeah. And apparently they were. And when I first heard this, I was like, no way. Come on. I mean, absolutely no way. This, there's no possible. This is just craziness, you know. But then you find out they had a villa right there in the same town where the McCanns were vacationing in Portugal. Right. And they were friends with this guy by the name of, I think it was Lucian Freud, who turned out to be a convicted, who turned out to be a pedophile too who had a, a place down there in the same area, a British pedophile who was friends with the Podestas. So Podestas have very strange bedfellows that all seem to be tied into yeah. pedophilia. I just sent you uh, two of his, this is a tie into Crowley from the WikiLeaks, where there's a message from Mary, which is the former wife of John Podesta in 2014, where she says, she, she's forwarding an email from a guy by the name of John saying, since, since John is no longer with the email address I have for him, would you for, plead forward this Thelema to John? And Thelema uh-huh. was his use of the will. So that uh, is an interesting thing. He had They have this word Thelema in quotes, and then they throw in our internist for many years as a 95-year-old mother who is in love. So he puts in two of Crowley's love under law, love under will, and a Thelema together in the same email, this guy. It's really mm. remarkable. So the mm. fact that they're using Crowley words is also uh, pretty sketchy, very suspicious. This is also in the WikiLeaks emails? That's how the WikiLeaks. You can see yeah. the number of it on there. I think uh, if you go back, it's number uh, – this one doesn't have it. You can just type it into WikiLeaks, the Lima of favor will pop up. Yeah, I mean, there's also the Stratford emails too The uh, that are – some of them are just as bad. And that was from a whole other batch of leaked emails, uh, Stratford, where they talk right. about the $65,000 worth of pizza and hot dogs. Right. And that's from 2010 or 2009. Yeah. So there's these code words and symbols for pizza are going through. And I show like, you know, all these celebrities are wearing pizza outfits. There's pizza mentioned in other movies about like representing young kids or young girls. So, um, yeah, I mean, these terms are being used. And those Stratford hacks, Stratford hacks, or Stratford hacks that were done by a whole different hacking group, not even affiliated with the Podesta leaks. The, there's some misinformation out there that the Podesta emails were hacked. They weren't. They were leaked. Somebody downloaded them and handed them to somebody, intermediary with the WikiLeaks who, who published them. Right. They weren't by a hacker. So... Um, the, the misinformation is like to blame Russia for hacking Bedessa or some crap like that. It's nonsense. Oh, no. um, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, that's what that's what the guy who was the intermediary said. I was given somebody who's probably that guy who ended up Seth Rich, who ended up dead. Um, yeah. Back there. The, uh, the one that was killed, the one that was killed in the supposed robbery where his was where his wallet was still on him. Right. Well, more inter- Well, that's an interesting point to it. But um, the mirror from the UK sent somebody out to disprove the fact that he was murdered and said that they couldn't account for where he was for three hours from the time that he was found shot to when he left the last bar. Mm-hmm. So somebody, it sounds like somebody abducted him and then held him and then killed him. 
What do you think and the just, end game? Just I think the interesting thing, yeah. Adam, is that WikiLeaks and uh, Julian Assange mentioned that there was a reward out for his death, which right. ties them directly to him. Right. Uh, we played that audio on that show where Assange was being interviewed by a BBC uh, reporter. And of course, Assange, you know, he's holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy. He can't go anywhere because it's all, but so it's all closed caption TV. <clears throat> but he said that, you know, when they asked him, was Seth Rich your, your informant? And Assange, you have to see it visually because Assange just kind of makes this little slight little nod and then goes on to say, well, we don't give the names of our informants. Right. But so it was does- almost like he confirmed it without actually confirming it. Yeah, body language. I would agree with that. I saw that too, and I was like, "Man, yeah, I think you just gave it away." Right, right. It makes perfect sense because I think if I remember in the WikiLeaks, Podesta wrote something. You know, if I find the person who's leaking this, I'm going to make an example of him or something like that. Do you remember that part of it? Oh no, I don't. This is the first I've heard of that. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. But he said something about like, uh, I'm going to threaten to find this hacker, make an example of it. Hmm. So what do you think the end game is with this, William? I mean, well, that's a great question. I mean, I think that the reason why they took so long to confirm sessions was uh, to delay any investigation. I do think that some people who are talking about arrests that are coming up could be legitimate. I'm hopeful that they are. I do see that across the country. We're at like a thousand five hundred people or something like that. A thousand two hundred within the last two or three weeks have been arrested in California, Ohio, all these different places for pedophilia and those people may be the low hanging fruit um which i think some people sure. can make a good argument that those are the beginning you know that you work your way out and then go to the center of the problem so things are moving in the right direction in my opinion i'm very glad that uh these human tra i just can't believe in this modern age in the united states that human trafficking is allowable in any no. way shape or form so it's disgusting i hope that all these people uh, go to jail and I'm hoping that as far as Pizzagate, I think the citizens investigation is doing a good job. They're weeding out the bad information. They're, they're relying upon, you know, doing groundwork and getting facts and information. And I think that um, I think that there's clearly, you know, a serious problem. I think that the pizza, st- the involvement of the young children was probably a blackmail op- operation. I think that that's probably the core and that's the way it was with everything that went down in Belgium with their whole yeah, Dutro. Dutro. I talked mm. to this woman, uh, Kareen Hutzabout, who uh, was a criminal profiler. And that's what she told me is that, and I agree with her is that these are, these are blackmail operations. And that's why probably many of those people in the media are denying that Pizzagate or anything involved with that is real is because they were at those parties. If you go look at the Podesta emails, he's got lists of these, these national, media figures that he's inviting over to parties. And then you look at some of the, uh, you look at some of the Alephantis, uh Instagram accounts and you see that they have advertisement for the after party. Come to the after party. It starts at 12. And if you go back and look at everything that went down with, you know, mm-hmm. in Nebraska and stuff like that, it's the after party where, you know, people are drunk and then they roll out the blackmail material. That's so. also, that's also in that documentary and open secret too. They tell that some of the kids well now young men talk about that. That was the after party was when, you know, all of a sudden more people would come over and then they would be required to get naked in the pool with the other, with the older guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but do you think Trump is really going to do anything about it? But considering that he is, I mean, 
I mean, he's linked to the Clintons as well, and he's also linked to Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Epstein's whole Epstein's whole situation was a blackmail operation too. I bet all those people at Epstein Island Island are filmed. Yeah, uh, Lolita so, Lolita Island. Yeah. Right. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I I'm, I'm hoping that that these investigations continue and these things are resolved. I will be disappointed if some of these major traffickers and people involved in these pedophilia rings do not go to jail. I think that I'll be very disappointed if that happens. Yeah. So what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I, I really don't think anything, honestly. I mean, unfortunately, uh, I think it's, I think it's probably going to disappear at some point um, just because, I mean, Franklin cover up Dutro, all these other things. I mean, people don't know. I mean, it, it, it uh, Jimmy Savile, Jerry Sandusky, which I think there's more to that than meets the eye. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, which Sandusky's son just got arrested for admitting to right. molesting a, uh, a child. Yeah, so he was it, trying to grooming somebody online. Yeah, yeah I, I just think, I don't know. I mean, I'm not confident that anybody's really going to be brought to justice because, I mean, if if it was just all if it was just all one party and then the other wasn't untouched, but I think the Republicans are just as untouched when they have, you know, like uh, Dr. Future was telling me about the homosexual cowboy ring that was in the Reagan White House. And then you got Franklin and the Franklin cover-up again which was a Repu- mostly Republican. Larry King was a Republican fundraiser. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm just not hopeful that I think just the, 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 the elite tend to send something. They may eventually send Alephantis out as a scapegoat, someone to take the blame, but, uh, that may happen, but I don't know yeah. if it'll go any further. Honestly, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. If the past is precedent, this will all be covered up, and they'll throw a couple, yeah, a couple pieces of meat to the wolves, you know, and then move forward. But I don't, you know, Alephantis probably has tons of blackmail material himself. Yeah, that may be true. It may be true. Uh, well, William, we're almost to the end here. I, I, I I'm kind of interested to know what you're working on now. I understand that you're working on a little bit on the smiley face killer stuff, which we're going to have to do a show so, on at some point. Uh, there is something going on. And it's been going on. It's a phenomenon that is taking place all over the country and UK that young men will leave bars and disappear and then be found in water about, you know, 20, 30 days later. So I'm investigating that right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's another author, uh, Steph Young, that she's talked about that as well, written a yeah, I've, couple I've of books about it. Often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe have to have you both on to talk about that because that's some frightening stuff. That's really frightening, frightening and I stuff. Think, uh, you know, I would say a warning to all your listeners and everybody to be very careful when you're out at a bar and don't go home alone, even if you're a man. Yeah, agreed. Well, William, thank you so much. Tell people where they can get the book, uh, get all your books, actually. All my books are available at occultinvestigations.com. Okay. No, it's not on uh, Well, Amazon, Kindle, right? Correct. Amazon and Kim. Okay. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much. It's It's been a real privilege to have you on. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. Thanks so much. You guys have a great night. All right. Yeah, thanks for having for us. We're going to close this out. And uh, guys, we will be back on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> Conspiracy Normal.
Are you tired, Luke? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of flopping me. around all I'm flopping around all the place. Which I hear that you actually have a rap name now. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it, it, it's an it's a monomer that I just kind of gave myself because I don't really have a good one for rap music yet. A monomer. A monomer. <laughs> I, I wear my monocle when I'm floppy dink. <laughs> I, I have a rap name. It's uh, DJ. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, it goes back to the sketch I made with my uh, roommate in college a few years ago. I don't know if we want to know any more about that. <laughs> Rob, uh, edit that out. Yeah, it's all good. you just see Rob just immediately de- <laughs> immediately deflate. <laughs> He's already got to like edit some some classified information out of the show. There's so. no room for that um, deformation. Deformation. Might get an email about that, Adam. <laughs> I might. You never know. Somebody might. Somebody might get angry. Well, just, you, just you, say that you like the Pope. You remember you're, back? We'll lose t- listeners. <laughs> <laughs> you remember back in 2012? I was Buck Nasty. Yeah, were you Buck Nasty? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Zach, I'll yeah. ask you. What do you think of all that, man? As usual, a whole bunch of information being thrown at you. Uh. It was a lot to process. Uh, I think what probably is sticking with me the most is this uh, all this Pizzagate stuff, which uh, I remember when when Pizzagate first was a thing. I I think I was the one that kind of brought it up to you, Adam, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I just wrote that. it off then. But I don't know. After, well, I did too. After did too. after hearing this, and uh, I was kind of I was I was looking up some of the stuff he was talking about as he was talking about it and uh seems like there's maybe some weight to it uh i'm not sure if it's as extensive as as it's as people are thinking it is but i don't know uh child sex trafficking is a a huge problem in this country unfortunately uh it's a very real thing um the thing is that okay remember a lot of this stuff is speculation a lot of it is circumstantial evidence yeah and of course, you know, sometimes circumstantial evidence in a court of law can be used to convict somebody. But in this case, it's going to be really hard to pin it on probably just one person. Absolutely. So we don't really know essentially what is going to happen with this. Rob, what's your thoughts, man? Well, that was some. Um that was a, just a fascinating interview. Like he's Alistair Crowley's beliefs. I don't necessarily agree with all of them. I do agree with some though. And it's interesting. A lot of the people that he's influenced are, um, like kind of pop icons that I'm, I've, I've always been really into and right, interested yeah, in a lot of too. the authors me and too. artists and yeah. musicians. And there's this, you know, there's this uh, very selfish, hedonistic aspect to to all of his teachings that I don't fully agree with. But there is a certain element of um, the ego, uh, as far as a healthy ego and taking care of yourself first in order to take care of others that that I do agree with. And one of one of Crowley's main teaching was it's always just it's always spoken as um, do what thou wilt. Mm-hmm. But the full phrase is actually. Um, do what thou wilt after love or love first or something along those lines. It's 
caring about the world and humanity, but taking care of yourself enough to, to be an effective part of that world. Yeah. Which I don't disagree with at all. But, and, but a lot of the things that he would write about were, you know, um, like I'm saying, I don't agree with all yeah, of it. <laughs> yeah, not, not not liking most of humanity or because some some misanthropic kind of things there. As well, well, a lot of us know. don't like most of humanity, but there, there's <laughs> <laughs> Luke's not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it went further into like the the Gradenian, um the Wiccan traditions and stuff, which was yeah. the, their their creed is and it harm none, do what thou wilt. Um, and I, I I do I think that's a great motto. It's it's simplistic. It's easy to follow. It's all encompassing. You know, and it, it clears up a lot of stuff. You know, if you, there's no no dogma surrounding it. It's just a simple, like, take that in everyday situations. It, it really would work out for the best. As far as the um, giving in to your primal urges, regardless of what they are side of it, that that's where they lose me. Mm-hmm. You know, anything um, bestiality-wise or the, you know, the, you know, there's all these, like, pedophilia references surrounding a lot uh-huh. of his followers uh-huh. and stuff uh-huh. and that's people taking it you know too far because then you know you're hurting people yeah like luke well after reading uh alistair crowley's 777 book from cover to cover and after years of extensive uh research on how to properly make sigils and how to uh summon entities you know both good and evil i finally Assembled a successful pizza gate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have achieved an everlasting supply of pizza. <laughs> and you didn't bring any at all, not even a slice. I'll never share. <laughs> does it like come through the portal or something? It does. Is that what happens? It's, like, it's like the Stargate. It's like a Pizza Hut pizza delivery guy. Reaching his arms through the portal every time. It's like a mystical pizza delivery guy with like a a third eye on his forehead. No, but all I see is the hands and and they have claws on them. (laughs) They're not human hands, but there's a pizza in their hands nonetheless. Reptilian pizza. How how do you know the, the, like the meat on the pizzas, you know, like pork and and I don't care. I don't, I don't care. It's still good. (laughs) <laughs> it's Cthulhu handing you his pizza. <laughs> like these tentacles come out from the from yes. the nether and oh, yes. you the pizza. The elder like, ones. Here you go, Luke. I mean, it, it, it just whenever I initially ask for the pizza, you know, whenever I summon the entity Multichar, <laughs> it, it it just. Uh, Said a bunch of stuff in a language I didn't understand, and I just agreed to all of it. You know, <laughs> it was Enochian language. Yes, it was the language of the Enochian angels. And uh, I, delivering yeah, you your pizza. I said yes to all as long as I get pizza. And you know, of course, <laughs> you checked so. the box and said yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Luke. That was enlightening. Yeah, <laughs> if there's anything good to come out of occultism, uh, PizzaGate. <laughs> The literal pizza gate. <laughs> oh man. Oh well I uh it's interesting. It's interesting the, the the just how much that has come into popular culture. And that's pretty much all I think I'm gonna say about it. Honestly. 
um, how much of it you can really take seriously and how much you can say is just, this is just the belief that these people have and there's nothing nefarious. I don't know. But yeah, when you start to get into bad stuff or doing bad things to bad, to too bad, pe- bad things to good people, that's where it gets a little iffy for me as well. Yeah. Have you read much of his philosophies? And- no, I really haven't. I really haven't. Um, you know, because you know, a lot of the time that what I'm reading for is the show. I haven't really sat down and read any of his stuff. I'd be interested to read it. Uh, I spoke to Heather yesterday and she said that uh, she's read some of it and she thinks a lot of it is just him just really bragging about himself and saying that he was the best ever. <laughs> Almost like a rap, almost like a rap artist. <laughs> there, yeah. there is definitely some of that in there, yeah, for sure. The, I've only read the Book of Law and like bits and pieces of other stuff, but yeah, we the best music. <laughs> <laughs> we the best occultists. <laughs> uh, on that note, guys, um, next time we are going to have on Greg Bishop. I'm really excited to have him on. We're going to talk. We're going to get back into the subject of UFOs for a little bit. And he's we're going to talk about his book, It Defies Language. And maybe get into a little bit about uh, him being in the movie Barrage Men, the documentary. Uh, so I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, Rob, tell everybody what, where they can go to, to Patreon and all that, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, check out www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Um, we're setting up a little community there. We're posting uh, special little bonus episodes from some of our favorite guests. Uh, we've got two of them on there. We should have a third one up before too long. And there's also going to be uh, the forums there. You know, we can kind of communicate to one another. And there's various different degrees you can contribute to support the show. There's also a donate button on our website at www.conspiranormal.com. If you don't want to subscribe and you still want to contribute. And if you don't want to spend money, we understand that as well. A great way to show support for the show is just to give us a good rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. Because... That's a quick one-minute way to reach out to us and let us know how you feel, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Zach, we understand that you're going to be moving back to your back to Mississippi pretty soon. Back to You've the been motherland. Here for like what? You're about four <laughs> years, right, in Nashville? Uh it was uh, 2013 when I moved here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, four years I've been here. Wow. Yeah. Well, we hope you know between now and May that you can come sit in with us again. Yeah, hopefully, maybe, uh, maybe on a UFO show because I think every time I've uh, been on, it's it's been talking about Aleister Crowley <laughs> for some odd reason, right? G- yeah, luck. except for except for that one guy, the pastor who had the the aliens come into his. Bedroom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that one. There was <laughs> that Fabric, was uh, Fabric really Kraken too. Yeah. Well, try to come. Uh, try to come in two weeks. Uh, well, two weeks from today, March fifth, we're going to do that. I'll see what I can do. Good yeah, luck absolutely. to you in Mississippi. I mean, <laughs> Mississippi. Sorry. Uh, the opinions of Luke are not the opinions of the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> to all of our Mississippi listeners, we apologize. Mississippi listeners, <laughs> going to get an angry one of them. Mississippi email. Yeah, we might. Dude, or nobody from Mississippi listens to this show. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, join us next time on Conspiranormal. Take us out, Luke. Um. <laughs> Sometimes when you're lonely, just think of me.
You gotta edit that out. Okay, never mind. That's too dirty. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.